it's so easy to criticise and condemn other people. It's really effortless to point out everyone else's faults and failings. It comes so naturally for us to tear down somebody else and to attack them and to destroy them. But God has called his people to a higher standard and a better calling. He's called us to be a church where everyone is valued, where everyone matters, where everyone is loved. But how is this possible? How can we overcome our naturally selfish and self-centered hearts to value other people as we should? How can we go against the flow of this world to put other people's interests ahead of our own? How can we become a genuinely loving community? Well, in his letter, Peter encourages us to live out who we are by growing in love. So we're going to read this passage, 1 Peter chapter 1. In verse 22, we're going to start, and then we're going to dip into chapter 2 and verse, up down to verse 3. So 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have a sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As we've seen before in Peter's letter, what we do should flow out of who we are in Christ. What we do should flow out of who we are in Christ. The Christian life is not about turning over a new leaf and trying to become a new person. The Christian life is not about trying to rigidly keep a whole set of rules and regulations. The Christian life is not about being driven by guilt or by fear and trying to be good enough for God. Instead, it's about recognizing through faith in Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, we've already become new people. We've already become, we've already been forgiven. We've already been made holy. We've already been adopted into God's family. We've already been set free from sin and death. 
And so we're called to live differently. Not in order to become acceptable to God, but because God has already made us acceptable to himself. And out of the gratitude and the freedom and the joy of that, of who we already are in Christ. And so again, Peter here, in this little passage, reminds these believers of who they are in Christ. He says to them, verse 22, you have purified yourselves. Now, under the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, the people of Israel could become ceremonially unclean through a whole host of different situations and circumstances. And if that happened then they had to be excluded from worship and excluded from the fellowship of God's people until they went through certain rituals in order to purify themselves and then make them acceptable in God's sight again. And if they refused to do that, then that brought serious consequences. So, for example, Numbers chapter 19 says this, if a person who is unclean does not purify himself, he must be cut off from the community because he's defiled the Lord, the sanctuary of the Lord. So within the Old Testament idea, there was this, if you did this, then you could become unclean and you need to go through a ceremony, a ritual, in order to be clean again. And if you didn't, then you were cut off from God and from his people. Now, of, of course, we don't need to follow those laws today. They were for the, in, under the Old Covenant. But these laws pointed to a deeper and much more distressing reality. That because of our inbuilt sinful nature, none of us could be fully pure in God's sight. Isaiah says this, All of us, have become one like who, like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Even when we're, when we're in our best behavior, even when we're doing the very best that we can, even that is tainted by our sinful and our selfish nature. Even that is not good enough for God. And no amount of ceremony or ritual could clean us on the inside. And so the question in in John chapter 25 is this. How can a man be righteous before God? How can one born of woman be pure? Surely it seems impossible. But Jesus came to answer that problem, didn't he? He gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross did not only redeem us, set us free from slavery to sin and death. That's what we were thinking about last week. But it also purified us. It cleansed us from the defilement of sin and made us acceptable in God's sight. And so that we're absolutely clear, Peter said when that happened. 
when did they purify themselves? Well, he said these Christians were already pure, purified, for you have been born again. You have been born again. This goes back to what we were looking at earlier in the letter of Peter, where Peter said, uh, talked about this new beginning in God's family. Everyone of us needs to experience in order to be part of God's family. So chapter 1 verse 3, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. It's the entrance into the Christian life. It's the brand new start. That if we don't have that, then we're still outside of God's kingdom. So this defines when. The when of the purification. If we put our faith in Jesus, then at that very moment, we were born again into God's family. We were cleansed of our sin. We were made perfectly pure in God's sight. And so we can draw near to worship God. And we can draw near to fellowship with God's people. So when Peter's talking about being purified, he's not talking to these Christians about something that they need to, need to do. Or that something that will be happen later. He's saying this is something that's already happened if you've trusted in Jesus. And it's the same for us. If we have trusted in Jesus, if we put our faith in Him as the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our lives, then we have been purified. In God's sight. Even if we don't feel very clean. Even if our memory of our sin is very clear in our minds. But Peter didn't only describe the when of our purification. He also described the how. Do you see that in verse 22? These Christians were purified through obeying the truth. They're standing before God was transformed by accepting and obeying and responding to the truth. What was that truth? Well, Peter went on to declare that this was the truth that was the word that was preached to you. This This truth is the truth of the gospel. The message of God's salvation. The message of Jesus that we see in the Bible. This is the truth that redeems. This is the truth that purifies. This is the truth that brings us new birth into God's family. You've been born again, Peter says, verse 23, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Through the living and enduring word of God. God's word gives life because it's living. This book is not a dead book. Just written thousands of years ago and so out of date and out of touch with reality today. No, the word of God is living and active. And so when we read it, it speaks into our lives today. It's relevant for today. And so God's word can give life. 
but it can also give life because it's enduring. Everything else in the world is passing away. Peter quotes here from Isaiah 40, when he says, All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. Both plant life and human life is perishable. Yes, both can reproduce. Both can give birth to new life. But that life doesn't last. That life is is temporary. That life is short-lived. But the word of the Lord stands forever. The word of the Lord stands forever. God's word is unchanging. His truth is eternal. And the life that comes from listening to and accepting and obeying God's word is eternal. God's word is living and enduring. And so today, nearly 2,000 years after this book was completed, we can still stand on the truth that it it contains. We can still stand on that truth. We don't need to listen to all the people who criticise it, who condemn it, who say it's, it's out of date or it's just of its time. We know that this word is living and enduring. And so when we read, that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We can accept that truth. We can respond to that truth with repentance and faith. We can trust in Jesus. And we can receive this new life in Christ. A new life that will last for all eternity. God's word is living and enduring so we can experience life that is living and enduring through being it. So the biggest question we'll ever answer is have you accepted the truth of the gospel? Have you been purified through being it? Have you received this brand new life? Because if not, then you can receive that today. That's on offer today. But Peter was writing mainly to people who'd already received this new life. And so Peter again called these people to live out their identity in Christ. In the previous sections, he focused on them living this out in relationship with God. So if we've been redeemed from slavery to sin, then we should enjoy the freedom of living with God. Remember, we looked at in verse 15, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. If God has called you to be holy, and he is a holy God, then live out that holy life. Set apart from this world and set apart to God. But here Peter focused his mind not so much on how this, this should impact our relationship with God, but how this should impact our relationship with each other. 
He said to these Christians that now they've been purified by obeying the truth, you have sincere love for your brothers. Now this isn't the kind of romantic sentiment or emotion that will be celebrated this week. Heads up for the guys, this is Valentine's week, okay? If you're like me, that means on Tuesday night you're going to rush out to a garage somewhere and try and buy a card, if you can. But Christian life is not about that kind of love. I'm allergic to flowers, I get away with that. Poor Lorna. Uh, Christian love is not about those kind of fuzzy feelings or those warm friendships and attraction. Not that that's wrong. It's not wrong. It's just that's not what it's about. Christian love, after all, is love that we're supposed to also express to our enemies, to those who are persecuting us. And that, when that happens, you don't feel that sense of attraction to those people. So this love is about something different. It's about genuine care and concern for others. It's about an authentic desire for the good of others. It's about a wholehearted commitment to do what we can to bless others, no matter what the cost. No matter how much it costs us. And this is an absolutely essential characteristic of our lives. I don't think we could overemphasize the importance of love in our Christian lives. When Jesus was asked about the greatest command in the law, he said this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is what God is looking for in our lives. If we have experienced this new birth, if we've been purified and set apart to live with God and to live for God, then we are called to love God completely. And we are called to love others as we love ourselves. And these two aspects of love, both loving God and loving others, are so intrinsically linked that the Bible says that you cannot have one without the other. This is what Jesus says. Or this is what John says in his letter. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, He's a liar. I don't think you can get any stronger than that, can you? Loving God and loving others, they're so linked. Why? Well, I think it's because the, the source of that love for other people is not ourselves, but it's God. John also says in 1 John chapter 4, this is love. Not that we love God, that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins since God so loved us we also ought to, want, ought to love one another it's the experience of God's love expressed at the cross of Jesus and his gift of grace that is so powerful that it will melt the hardness of our hearts 
that will transform our attitudes, that will motivate our actions to love others as we have been loved. So this is what happens when we put our trust in Jesus. And he gives us a new life with a new heart and the Holy Spirit to empower us to live this brand new way of love. Now that's not not to say that any of us will love other people perfectly. Because of course none of us do that. This love is described as a fruit, a fruit of the Spirit that takes time to grow and to develop. So even alone in the people that Peter was writing to, he said that they had a sincere love for each other. He also said, he called them to love one another deeply from the heart. Peter was wanting this love that he could see in them to grow and to develop and to flourish. Now this idea of loving one another deeply, there's two options about how, what this really means. This either means that he wanted their love to grow more intense, more earnest, or the alternative translation is that he wanted it to be more constant, more enduring. A kind of unshakable love that will not be be destroyed by any circumstances or difficulties. But sometimes when we come to these kind of questions, sometimes the answer is not to choose one or the other. Because both are important, aren't they? God wants our love to grow both in its depth and in its length. He wants us to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. To become more and more committed to loving each other. No matter what the cost. But he also wants that love to be faithful. To be unchanging. To be constant. To be unending. Because love never fails. So love one another deeply. Both in intensity and in constancy. And so Peter went on to challenge them because this is what he was wanting and looking for in their lives. He wanted them to get rid of their unloving attitudes. So chapter 2 verse 1 he says this. Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. We need to remove those attitudes because they divide a community. Because they destroy a church. But also we need to remove those attitudes from our hearts because they just don't belong in the life of anybody who trusts in Jesus. If we are truly God's elect, if we've been chosen by the Father, if we've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus, if we've been sanctified by the Holy Spirit, then we won't want to allow malice which is hateful and evil thoughts against others. We won't want that to be part of our lives. Because we've received so much mercy and grace from God. And we won't want to use deceit, deliberate dishonesty, to achieve our goals. Because we follow the one who who described himself as, I am the 
And we can't accept hypocrisy or pretense because we've been called into a genuine, authentic, loving relationship with God. And we know that envying others, resenting their gifts, their blessings, that's just completely inappropriate for someone who's been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And we don't need to use slander to put other people down to make us feel better. Because we can rejoice that if we are in Christ, we are a child of God. You can't get any better than that. So we don't deal with those unloving attitudes by beating ourselves up about how bad we are. Neither do we deal with those attitudes by just rolling up our sleeves and trying harder to be nice to people. Instead, we rid ourselves of these unloving attitudes by connecting more and more to God and allowing the reality of who we are in Christ just to sink deeper into our hearts and our minds. We will love one another deeply from the heart the more that we experience God's love poured into our So if you're today here today and you say, I need more of God's love. Or I need to be more loving to other people. I need to love our, my church better. I need to love my family better. I need to love my colleagues at work better. Or whoever it is. Then the key is to connect more to God's love. <laughs> to let his love flow into our hearts. So how do we do that? How do we grow in love. How do we connect more to God and let Him impact and transform us more and more? Well, this is what Peter wrote in verse 2. He said, Like newborn babes, babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. You may grow up in your salvation. This isn't about how to become saved or how to be accepted by God. Peter is writing to people who are already purified in, in, by, in God's sight because they accepted the gospel, who have already been born again through the living and enduring word of God. So that's not how we become saved, that's how we grow up in our salvation. How we step into the blessings of what we have in Christ more and more. How we allow the freedom and the forgiveness to change our hearts and to transform our lives. How we live out the lives that we're called to live in loving God and loving other people. And we do this through longing for the undiluted, untainted, unaltered Word of God. picture here is, or to do this like newborn babies. I'm sure Bran and Evelyn understand this picture really well. When little Caleb is hungry, he doesn't just lie quietly in his bed thinking, hmm, I'm kind of hungry. It would be nice to get some milk sometime. 
It's no big deal though. My mum and dad will sort that out soon, sometime soon. I don't think Caleb lies there doing that, do you? I would imagine, like any other child, any, like, any other little baby, he screams the house down until he gets what he needs. He's desperate for that food, isn't he? And he needs it. And he knows he needs it. And so he'll do everything he can to get it. And that's how God wants us to be with his word. He wants us to be desperate for God's word. He wants us to realize that God's plan for us to live this new life is beyond us. That when we read these words, we say, I can't love like this. I can't get rid of these attitudes. They're so inbuilt in me, I just can't do it. And so we're so desperate for God's love to do it. That we turn to Him more and more. That we get our Bibles out and we read and we read and we long for God to speak into our hearts. Because we long for more of Jesus' presence. And we long for more of the Holy Spirit's power in our life. That we're desperate for it. Like David in Psalm 63, he says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. We are called to be passionate about God's word. Desperate for it. Because we know that we need it. We need it more and more. But not just because we need it. But also because we love it. Because you have tasted that the Lord is good. If through God's word we've experienced something of how amazing Jesus is, if our hearts have been melted as we've read about His love and His compassion, if we've been overwhelmed by the wonder of His grace and His mercy, if we rejoice in His acceptance of the outcast and the oppressed, if that we've experienced how wonderful it is to connect to Jesus, then we won't, won't want to miss out anymore. We will love God's Word so that we can know more of Christ in our lives. Because we don't read the Bible to learn more about God. We read the Bible to grow in our relationship with If you've tasted that the Lord is good, we'll want more and more and more. So this is how we overcome our naturally selfish and self-centered hearts. To value other people as we should and become a genuinely loving community. Three little points. We're called to live out, out our new life in Christ. This is not about trying to become something we're not. This is about just being the people that God has made us to be. We're called to grow in the love of Christ, loving others as God loves us. And thirdly, we do that through longing for and feeding on the living and enduring Word of God. Let's pray.
Father God, we really thank you. We thank you, Father, again for this reminder of your amazing love for us. That you have loved us from before the creation of the world with an, with an uncompromising, unconditional, unending, unlimited love. And you continue to pour that love into our lives again and again and again, Lord. Even though we so often ignore you, forget about you, disappoint you, and all of that, Lord. We just thank you for your amazing love for us. And Lord, we are amazed again that you call us to love each other in that same way that you love us. And we see how high and exalted that standard is. And it seems to be beyond us. It seems to be impossible. Because Lord, you know how selfish our hearts are. You know how wound up we are in ourselves. And yet Lord, this is the work you want to do in our lives. By your amazing grace. Through your wonderful power. Through your living and enduring work. So Father, help us to, if we've put put our trust in Jesus, then help us to rejoice in the fact that you have purified us. You have made us new in, in Christ. And that we can live out this new life you've called us to. We can be people who will grow in love, who will bear the fruit of love in our lives who will be part of a a genuinely loving community, who will reach out to this world outside with real sacrificial love. And that we will reflect your love to us by loving others. Father, we pray that you'd help us to grow in love. Help us to seek after you. Help us to be desperate for you. Help us like newborn babies to crave that pure spiritual milk so that we might grow in our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.